Welcome back to the Jesus Chronicles. I'm Sandy Laws, your host, and this is lesson number nine. With this lesson, we are embarking on a new journey with Jesus as an adult. The goal of the Jesus Chronicles is to follow the life of Jesus in chronological order. I'm trying to shed new light on his life by walking step by step with him through his earthly journey. So in this next series of podcasts, I will examine the events that took place during Jesus's first year of ministry. I call this year the year that Jesus goes public. And by that, I mean that Jesus sets his ministry into motion and reveals who he is to a small group of dedicated followers. So in this series, I'm going to talk about the following events in his life in the order in which they happened, including his baptism in the Jordan River, his temptation by Satan in the Judean desert, his first miracle performed at that wedding in Cana, the first time that Jesus cleansed the temple in Jerusalem, his private conversations with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and an unnamed woman by the well, his healing of a nobleman's son, and what happens when he goes back and preaches in his hometown in Nazareth. Now, all of these events took place in the first year of his ministry, between the summer of 26 AD and the summer of 27 AD. The Baptism Story. Okay, I'm ready to move forward and talk about the first event, which is the story of Jesus' baptism. Now, how does Jesus start his mission on earth? Well, the short answer is by walking from Nazareth to the region of Galilee. All four of the gospel writers tell us the story of his baptism. And this is not the case with every life story about Jesus. So when it happens, it speaks to the significance of that event. Each of the four writers puts their personal touch on this story. Now, the one thing the four writers don't tell us anything about at all is Jesus's personal appearance. There is no description of Jesus in the Bible. Was he tall or short, thin or heavy, lots of hair or very little hair? And what color eyes did he have? Well, no one knows. But that hasn't stopped artists in their efforts to paint the portrait of Jesus. And their portraits typically reflect the times in which they were produced. So what do I think Jesus looked like? I think he looked like a first century Jewish man. So I picture him more like how Rembrandt painted him. If you Google that, you will see what I'm talking about. I just find it fascinating that there is no description of him in the text. And I think that's because the appeal of Jesus has never been about how he looked. No, it was always about what he said, what he did, and who he is. We do well to keep that in mind during this 
era of seemingly unlimited selfies and images. Before I jump into the baptism story, let me give you a little relevant information about the setting of the story. Well, everybody knows that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, but no one knows exactly where. And that's because John the Baptist baptized people in various places along the Jordan River, which is located in the Jordan Valley in Israel. The Jordan River is a meandering river, 135 miles long, that begins at the Sea of Galilee and ends at the Dead Sea. The width of this river varies considerably from season to season and in different places. When the river is high during the flood stages, it can expand to be a mile wide. And the depth of the Jordan River is from 4 to 13 feet, depending on the location. The land adjacent to the river is called the Zor. In ancient times, it was covered with dense vegetation. Poplar trees that were 30 feet tall lined the river, along with flowering tamarisks, fast-growing willow trees, canes, and reeds. Many wild animals were also found in this dense area of vegetation, including lions and leopards and jackals. Crossing the Jordan River would require either knowledge of the best place to cross or a raft. There were no bridges spanning the river during the lifetime of Jesus. Now you can understand why John would have to travel up and down the river to pick the best spot. He undoubtedly picked his locations based on the river's current and the water's depth. The only named location where he baptized was in Bethany, according to John chapter 1. About John the Baptist. But who was John the Baptist? Let's stop and take a look at John, who was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. John the Baptist is a major figure in the New Testament. He wasn't like anyone else. He was special even before he was born. Even in his mother's womb, John seemed to have understood the powerful connection between himself and Jesus. When Mary came to visit Elizabeth and Zechariah, Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John and Mary was just barely pregnant with Jesus. John leapt in his mother's womb at the sound of Mary's voice. And after he was born, John grew and became stronger in the spirit. As an adult, John moved to the Judean wilderness and he lived off the land. He dressed in camel hides drawn together with a belt and he ate food he could gather, including locusts and wild honey. When he was between the ages of 29 or 31 or 31 or so, he was called out of the wilderness by God to start his public ministry. This was a year or more before Jesus started his. 
John was, as Isaiah the prophet wrote, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight path for him. Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5. John's preaching style could be described as blunt and confrontational. He had zero problem calling people out for their lack of compassion for the poor or calling out the Jewish religious leaders whom he felt were hypocrites. One time, a group of Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees stood nearby listening to him. John boldly shouted out at them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not think to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Matthew 3, verses 8 to 9. For Matthew, it wasn't enough that a person was born Jewish. They had to prepare for the coming of the Messiah like everyone else. Of course, it is possible, even probable, that John and Jesus saw each other as they were growing up. They were related. But their interactions as relatives aren't recorded in the text. So it's just an assumption on our part that they spent time together as young boys and as adults. It wasn't until the extraordinary baptism of Jesus that John fully understood who Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, was. Jesus is baptized by John. As to Jesus' journey from Nazareth, Matthew tells us that Jesus came from Galilee, the region where Nazareth is located, to the Jordan River, to John, specifically to be baptized by him. Now, who was present when Jesus was baptized? The gospel writers all identify the participants in this story as John the Baptist, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew tells the most complete version of this story, so let's look at his version. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as John was, Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Matthew 3 verses 13 through 17. Okay, so on the day that Jesus was baptized, John was out preaching and baptizing people 
in the Jordan River like every other day. Jesus came to John from Galilee specifically to be baptized. And John was surprised. Surely the Messiah did not need to be baptized and forgiven of his sins. But Jesus insisted, telling John, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Well, Jesus' response to John requires that we dig just a little deeper. The first clause of his response is, is it's easy. Jesus is saying, let's do this. Let's, let's get on with it. But the second clause is a bit trickier. What does it mean when Jesus says, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness? Righteousness is a key idea in Matthew's gospel. He mentions it seven times. The righteousness he is referring to is righteousness from God's perspective. Specifically, what God thinks is righteous. John and Jesus are inaugurating Jesus' ministry in the way of righteousness, or in a way that is righteous according to God. As the story moves to the baptism itself, Matthew, Mark, and Luke's language becomes remarkably similar. Here is how the baptism itself unfolded. Jesus was immersed in the water in the Jordan River. He came up out of the water, and immediately the heavens were open. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descended like a dove upon Jesus. And a voice, the voice of God, spoke from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Well, how did the heavens open up? This figure of speech was describing a revelation coming from God in heaven. The revelation was twofold. First, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a bird and connected with Jesus. And second, the voice of God spoke to Jesus, revealing their special relationship. The Holy Spirit was anointing Jesus at the start of his ministry, and God the Father was expressing his consent and pleasure in Jesus. It had been a very long time since God had revealed himself to humankind, and this revelation was a clear indication of the dawning of the age of Jesus as the awaited Messiah. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit were acting in solidarity as Jesus began his earthly ministry. This beautiful beginning of Jesus' ministry was well-timed and intentional since the very next event that took place in Jesus' life was his temptation by Satan in the Judean desert. Quite a contrasting scene to what took place at the Jordan River. With Jesus' baptism, John brings his mission to prepare the way of the Lord to a climax, and he transitions his mission to Jesus, the promised one. 
For his part, Jesus received the baptism in obedience to the will of his Father. Thus, in his first words from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus refers to fulfilling God's will as nothing less than establishing God's presence on earth through him, bringing the salvation God had promised his people. Did Jesus need to be baptized at all? Well, in a word, no. Jesus was not a sinner. But by being baptized, he showed his solidarity with his people and their need to be saved from sin. Jesus is the embodiment of Israel as king and as a servant. As such, he identifies with his people fully and he obediently acts out his role, receiving the anointing of the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish his mission. Well, I love the baptism story. It's so beautiful, so visual, so symbolic and dramatic. In just a few short passages, we learn a great deal about John the Baptist, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not just walk to John, get baptized, and move on to the desert. The stop at the Jordan, his baptism, and the affirmation from heaven reveals many powerful theological insights about Jesus and his mission. And here are a couple of thoughts about that. Jesus, as fully human, yet fully God, is aligned with his people. From the very beginning of his ministry, he takes on the role of suffering servant, and he demonstrates his willingness to be counted among the sinners in an effort to save humankind from sin. The triune Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are operating together from the very beginning of Jesus' mission until the very end. Jesus was never alone on his earthly journey. Also, what does the baptism story mean to us today? Well, here's just a couple of ideas for us to consider. Just as with Jesus, when we are baptized as an adult, the triune Godhead is with us. We are anointed by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Thus, we begin our own unique earthly journey as a follower of Jesus. It is actually a moment marked with great rejoicing in heaven. It is also a fact that we are never alone again as long as we walk the earth. God is always with us on our journey. Our status as a solo sojourner on the earth has changed forever. It's not just that we're no longer alone when we become a Christian. We join the body of Christ. We actually belong to a worldwide community of believers. And currently, the number of Christians on this planet exceeds 2 billion people. We are part of a much bigger global movement initiated by God 
when he sent Jesus to earth as our Savior. We should rejoice in the church, even though it is imperfect. And we should find our place within it because God doesn't want us to be alone. He wants us to be connected to our Christian family. Well, that's it for this story. Next time on the JC, we will follow Jesus as he goes from being baptized to being tempted by Satan. Hey, if you have any questions or would like to receive my written Bible study for these series, please send me an email at sandy at thejesuschronicles.org and I would be happy to send them to you for free. You can also get them on my website, www.thejesuschronicles.org. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast. Thanks for listening and shalom, everybody.